and welcome to Digital Health Unplugged. We've got a very interesting podcast for you today, looking at the power of data in a pandemic and also just the importance of data in general. There has been a renewed drive from the government and NHS over the last nine months for better access to good quality data. This has helped them plan for the pandemic, including localised outbreaks and future responses. Very early doors during the crisis, the government set up the NHS COVID-19 data store, which has been designed to help monitor the spread of the virus and also ensure support is available for, for clinicians and patients wherever they need it. But there's also been a breadth of concerns raised about the use of data, particularly around the NHS contact tracing app when it comes to privacy. And the government has faced some heavy criticism for failing to adequately collect COVID-19 data within Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities, despite statistics showing that they are disproportionately affected by the virus. This essentially means that future responses to the virus and future research risks excluding whole communities. But I am not the expert on data, so you don't just have to take my word for it. We have an incredible panel with us today who will be able to tell us much more about the importance of data. We have with us Caroline Cake, Chief Executive of Health Data Research UK. Hi, Andrea. We have Cathy Sudlow, Director for, of the British Heart Foundation Data Science Centre and a consultant stroke neurologist in Edinburgh. Hello there. And Dr. Amy Banerjee. Associate Professor in Clinical Data Science and Consultant Cardiologist at UCLH and BART's NHS Trusts. Hello. Goodness, you guys have a lot of titles to get out. I um, was very tongue-tied during all of that. Um, and obviously, as always, I am Andrea Downey, Senior Reporter for Digital Health. So as I have mentioned, data has prov uh, proved vital during the pandemic, I would say. Um, you know, we've had a renewed drive from the government to be collecting it. Um, but obviously, Caroline, you work with Health Data Research UK. Can you tell us a little bit more about how data has been used during COVID-19 and how that has shaped the country's response to it? Yeah, so um, data has been used in a huge, um, it's going to be vital to the, um, to the response of the pandemic. Um, so you, you're going to need data to know um, who's, who's um, being infected, both the numbers of people, where they're located, what characteristics they have, how it's spreading, how, um, how the disease has been transmitted, um, uh, how people are affected once uh, are kind of affected once they've been infected. So what symptoms they get, who's admitted to hospital, what mortality um, effects there are. Um, and then also how other groups are affected. So um, how people with diseases such as cancer, cardiovascular diseases, um, Alzheimer's, what the direct and indirect impacts are on them, what's causing the disease, um, what's happening with healthcare provision, who's surviving disease, all of this requires data to tell you what's happening in all of those different areas. And through, throughout COVID, you've seen a, a really in, interesting kind of evolution of our understanding of the disease through that data that's been generated and through how the kind of the an analysis and work has been done on it. And it's not just during a pandemic that data is really important, is it? I think this is just really highlighted, you know, the need for access to good quality data. Um, so I wanted to open this up to everyone now. How important is access to data um, in a pandemic and also in normal times? So, Andrea, i just um, uh, come in. Uh, I think it, it's really been really important how much the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of shone a light on some of the wonderful uh, data collections that are available, particularly in the UK, uh, but also internationally, uh, but also mm -hmm. where there were inadequate infrastructures to enable those to flow so that the right people could access the data to perform the right analyses to give us the insights that we needed. That's been the case for some time. And because, because of COVID-19 and because of a 
major global focus on a problem and everybody kind of focusing on the same thing, um, it led to people kind of making a concerted effort to get the data flowing. Uh, But arguably in the UK, uh, if we'd had better infrastructures to start with, we would have been in a better position to gather the intelligence that only now are we starting to gather. So we've had to really kind of put the pieces together uh, that should have been in place. And we've been trying to do that for quite some time, but uh, the pace has really increased. So in general, when we're looking at the use of data, how much better does that improve? Like, how does it improve the care and the uh, and, you know, the ability to look after patients and also help clinicians uh, with their job? What, what's the end game when using data in this sense? So you've hit upon um, the, the important thing about data is who is the user that we have in mind. And if, if I'm wearing my... Um, clinician hat as a health professional, the more data we have about that individual patient, whether it's um, about their risk of coronavirus or um, their general underlying conditions, that's that's helpful for me to be able to communicate with that person and to, to know um, what, what kind of um, picture to tell the patient to expect. Um, but that, that applies similarly if, if I'm working in public health or if I'm working in policy. So that, that data is really important. But I, th- I think where we can all be better is um, actually the, the after the analysis, the communication with the public as well, um, during particularly during this um, pandemic or emergency time, has, has been um, critical. And there are good news stories. For example, the Office of National Statistics is putting out more weekly updates and more um, sub-analyses of their data than they ever have done in the past, which is amazing work. And Amy, I'm just wondering, just building off that in terms of the, um, the as you're saying, though, the, the detailed information about the individual, but it's also the um, what we can learn collectively in an aggregate across different individuals. So if you take something like the COVID um, symptom tracker, um, the, the ability to then see a series of different things and then to start seeing that um, the, the symptoms associated with smell then tells you then when you can then inform individuals going forward, if you have these symptoms, this is one of the key symptoms of COVID. So it's helped us kind of learn about individuals, but also in aggregate that then feeds back to the next people being affected. I totally agree. It's, it's brought um, the, the research and the practice and, and, the, and the public space is closer together. We're kind of finding those, those results and actioning them quicker than we were on the basis of data. Brilliant. So, Caroline, I just wanted to ask you as well, um, what has Health Data Research UK been doing over the last month? Because obviously, um, I assume you've had loads of different projects on the go um, that may have had to change a little bit when COVID hit. Um, So, yeah, what's the role that Health Data Research UK has had here? Yeah, it's been really interesting. So when um, when COVID um, hit, first of all, the a number of the uh, projects investments we've been putting in place were immediately uh, kind of deployed to support and enable that. So we've been creating um, uh, something called the the gateway, which is a, um, a, a, a front door to the UK's data. So as Cathy mentioned, there are all sorts of data sets. So what we're doing is enabling people to discover what data sets already exist. 
Um, there's then we have an alliance, which um, is the UK Health Data Research Alliance, which brings together all the custodians. So starting to get them lined up and um, supporting the access processes for using the data. Um, and then the, the third aspect is actually a, a creating, we had um, a series of hubs, um, uh, including the, um, the Data Science Centre, which um, are about, about improving and enabling use of the data. And so since um, really the start of um, early March period, we've been working across the whole data science community, uh, bringing together um, uh, and ensuring that the priority research questions are being addressed. So one of the things that happened early on was that all sorts of questions coming out. So which questions need to have data first to be able to answer it, um, to actually enable the whole, whole system to move forward. So we, um, we played a role in terms of prioritizing the research questions, ensuring data was set up in the right environment so that people could actually access and research them in a safe, secure way that could be done in a publicly um, trustworthy um, way. Um, and then actually um, helping to show what outcomes are coming out and reporting into SAGE on a weekly basis. And now it's now um, fortnightly now at the moment. Um, so that actually people can see what research is going on, what questions are being answered, what insights are being generated, so that it's informing the decision making by politicians, by um, different organisations. And it's been incredibly um, enabling for the community to have that process going on because uh, not only has it made apparent what what data sets are available and what insights can emerge from them quickly, but also which aren't. And that's allowed uh, the community to focus on bringing those data sets together that were not um, being accessed or made accessible so that so that insights can be created. So, for example, um, in the with the BHF Data Science Centre, and this has very much been a partnership and Caroline and Amy have both been involved in this. We've been working with NHS Digital to create uh, what's called a trusted research environment. Um, so a place where relevant data sets can be brought together and linked, um, in this case, to enable us to look at what the risk factors were for developing um, COVID-19 disease with a particular focus on cardiovascular diseases, which early on in the pandemic were shown to be very important kind of background um, conditions that would increase the risk, perhaps of acquiring the infection, but more importantly, of a poor outcome. So more likely to need to go to hospital, more likely to die as a result of that, if people had those conditions. And um, also uh, that in people who had COVID-19, there was uh, increasing evidence that uh, people would that those people were at increased risk of developing uh, inflammatory and uh, clotting disorders. So the people were observing mm -hmm. that these people had more strokes, more heart attacks, uh, and more clotting disorders in the lungs um, and in the legs as well. So to be able to study and shed light on that, bringing these data sets together is incredibly important, but it, um, and also making them available in this kind of environment. And that Although it sounds kind of uh, almost flabbergasting, that environment and that capability to allow researchers to access data at scale across the whole of the country in the UK uh, had not previously been in place, uh, particularly in this trusted research environment way. Um, and so we've been doing a lot of work to get that together so that the insights can be generated much more rapidly. Mm, that's really interesting and leads me very nicely onto a question I wanted to ask about whether or not this pandemic has changed the way that the UK will be using data. 
Um, Kathy, you mentioned earlier that we didn't necessarily have the right infrastructure in place to be collecting and using this data. Um, do you think now the way we will continue to use data in the future has has changed? And um, you know, what benefit is that going to bring us in the in the long run? Yeah. So do you know? I really hope so. Um, a lot of the issues in the past have been around, um, I think, misunderstanding and mistrust. Um, and one of the really important things that um, Health Data Research UK has been championing since its inception, and particularly in recent weeks, is the importance of maintaining patient and public trust. Because with that, it's possible to overcome some of the reticence to actually get data into the hands of those people who can help to analyse and derive insights from it. And I think we as a community have a real responsibility to show how important that is by producing the outputs that, that help help everybody to understand in this case what's important about risk factors for COVID-19 and poor outcomes from it and, and all the issues that Caroline was referring to. So I think once we once we start really showing the benefits, then it becomes much easier to continue along the line that's really sort of taken a, a, an enormous uplift and a great deal of pace over the last few weeks and months. I, I think we have, so, sorry to come in here, I, I would say that we we talk a lot about data, but we should start actually with the people behind the data that actually the patients and public are following um, figures about public health, about COVID, about deaths, about risk in a way that they weren't six months ago. And so so this has definitely changed the way that we uh, are using um, data and communicating to, to patients and public. And uh, I think some patients and public are still surprised by how hard it can be to get hold of the data uh, in terms of emergency preparedness. So, for example, the largest analysis to date uh, looking at primary care data was only able to look at 10 or 11,000 of the deaths but couldn't link with hospital data properly. Uh, so that's a, you know less than a quarter of the, the deaths that have um, happened during the pandemic. And uh, I, th- I think in in um, many ways the NHS has the advantage that we are you know, one one provider across the, across the, the nation. So we should be able to do that better. And also from a researcher point of view, linking up that data uh, and for specialists would would be would be for everybody's benefit. So I think as as both Kathy and Caroline have said, um, those lessons we have to take forward. And I think I'll just add a, a couple more thoughts on, onto uh, onto both of those um, um, areas. It is the, um, the the usage of um, the the fact that you established infrastructure has been very helpful. So effectively building off what already exists and then being able to scale that up has has been key. And I think taking that forward as as we go go forward on the pandemic, um, the the need for really clear research questions to guide the usage of data, and then having the trans um, the kind of transparency aspect that both Cathy and um, Amy are referring to there around actually how then what what outcomes and what results are generated from it is is really key to then um, I think one of the key lessons we've had coming out of that uh, and also one of the points you mentioned at the start um, Andrea was around the inequalities I think we've really seen the need for 
ensuring um, people are, are fully represented in the data. So we, we, the gaps in data, the gaps in whose data we had, um, then did create challenges. So I think, I hope that that's moved thing, that conversation on forward and the import, recognizing the real importance of the diversity in the data. Yeah, and it, it's not something, it's not something we should let go of either. You know, so that that uh, that need to cover the entire population, um, and to you know to really be able to drill down on regional differences um, and so on is incredibly important. And and here is where partnership between the research community and those who are providing services within the NHS, generating data. Um, and uh, uh, looking after those data, if you like, becoming the you know the data custodian bodies, for example, NHS Digital, um, and the people who work in NHS Digital, creating some of those partnerships um, is incredibly important for maintaining trust in the data and also making sure we understand what it's telling us. So, I guess one thing we haven't talked about is uh, is once you've got sorted with. Uh, smooth and streamlined and safe and secure access to data, uh, making sure that it's of sufficient quality and well enough understood to really derive the insights from it. And I think um, some of the pace that's been put on gathering together data in ways that hadn't really occurred before um, in the last few months has also started to put us in a position where we can start to understand some of the some of the quality issues with the data, again, at a scale we didn't really um, have the possibility of doing before. Yeah, because it's not it's not just one sort of data set, is it? I think when we talk about data, um, it's very easy to just think, oh, well, you just need, you know, one sort of data set for this disease. And it's not necessarily the case because different illnesses affect people differently. It affects regions differently. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors that go into how one disease will affect a community. Um, so do you think, you know, we've had a lot of conversations over the last few months about the need for inclusive data. Are we at a point yet where we need to, like, we can sort of almost stop having those conversations because we know to do it? Or do we still need to keep pushing and pushing and having those conversations so that we have the right data in front of us? I think we, we do um, still have to keep pushing um, on, on two elements. One is that uh, how... how we um, analyze and who we who we um, disseminate our, our findings to is is crucial that we we don't um, make any existing inequalities worse so you know the the data and the information that's provided is more likely to be seen by people in higher socioeconomic um, positions or areas or certain communities and so we need to make sure we reach out uh, with the data and the findings in that in that respect, uh, and, and I'd also say one challenge that we face is what we call the interoperability of data. So, so the different definitions. So, take ethnicity for example. That's defined slightly differently depending on the data set, and we have to make sure that um, we, we can we can uh, use those data together and, and get the overall picture. Um, Otherwise, it's very difficult to to look at those um, nuances. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So you, you talked about this, Andrea, the, the sort of different sources of the of data, um, and you, you only need to think of a patient and their kind of journey through the healthcare system to be able to kind of really understand why that would be the case. So 
people might um, have contact with the health system through their GP, so they might have a record in their primary care um, GP data set. They might be admitted to hospital, and hospitals generate yet an, a, a different data set. Um, if they're unfortunate enough to die, they'll have a registered death, and then um, there'll be data occurring in the mortality or civil, civil deaths registration data set. Um, if they've had a heart attack or a stroke um, in hospital um, or various other conditions, then details about their condition may have been collected at national scale in, in disease-specific registries or audit systems. And it's only when you bring and link all of these data sets together that for any one individual or indeed for an entire group or population of individuals that you can bring together that entire story through data and perform analyses that, that inform uh, across the population and then can be applied back to particular individuals to help you know, um, doctors like Amy and myself to provide advice to patients. Amy's done some really terrific work um, in this area on estimating uh, risk of death during the uh, pandemic using um, a data set that was already available. But arguably, if we'd actually had active flows of data in the way that we are starting to now across all of those different areas of the health service, then Amy's risk prediction tool would be even better. But I mean, Amy, you probably wanna, you'd be much better placed than me to talk about that. Thank, thank you, Kathy. I, I agree that uh, we, we would love to have near real-time or real-time data, um, but what we've had to do uh, and what many um, researchers have had to do is, is project um, rather than actually base their estimates on, on real data until that um, data becomes available. Um, but what what um, that piece of work that Kathy was mentioning showed is that there's there's an interest in people's in individual risk based on age and sex, but also on their underlying conditions, which goes far beyond this pandemic. So it's another example of how we can take what we're learning now and and make sure we we um, action it what uh, once we're done with COVID. We hope. And um, Andrew, just um, on your your point again, back on the, the mix of data sets, I, I think the and the ethnicity such kind of if you take that as a really interesting case study of unfolding and understanding what's happening. So uh, as Kathy kind of played through, there will be certain situations where you you know what you're looking at and you want to you have to work through these links. But when you get suddenly a question of hang on a minute, what's going on with COVID? Why are we seeing um, what looks like a disproportionate number of um, black deaths or South Asian groups and what's happening there? If you work through the links of information that you need to, to work out to understand what's going on there, first of all, you've got to understand, well, is there a difference in who's getting infected? In which case can you see um, how their occupation um, uh, are varying, in which case you need to link through with occupation data? Then once they've been infected, you see a difference in outcomes. You then need to be able to link through with, um, I don't know, their, their kind of BMI information or whether they've had diabetes or different aspects in that. So you, you have to link through all sorts of different things to un answer in a very rapid period of time a, a question that you wouldn't have had three months before or six months before. Um, so I think the dynamic nature of the pandemic is also um, kind of means you need to have your data set up to be able to answer those sorts of questions. You may not predict what exactly they're going to be at the time. 
just just one thing I would sort of interject here, and this is uh, stealing a quotation of um, Rory Collins, who I used to work with um, in, in the UK Biobank. So um, recently, uh, um, at a research advisory group for NHS Digital, he raised the point that um, although we have uh, this pandemic uh, of COVID-19 occurring at the moment, and it's obviously incredibly important and has focused all our minds on all sorts of issues, not least um, the need to have our data house in order, as it were, um, he raised the very good point that, of course, we already have uh, some major epidemics and pandemics going on that, um, you know, as as a nation and as a world, we have kind of sat on our hands slightly about with respect to data. Uh, so cardiovascular disease, cancer, obesity, diabetes, um, these are all very good reasons to have it, all the same linkages of data and data flows that we've just been discussing with respect to COVID-19. And I think things move forward at pace partly because there's been huge kind of uh, support um, and and push from uh, government for this to happen. Um, and to some extent, um, uh, you know, more, permissive, more permissiveness about the flows of data, which are in proportion to the potential value and benefits uh, of enabling that. Um, but also the community has had a single area or much more than usual, a single area of focus. So, um, you know, I'm a stroke specialist, but, uh, you know, suddenly, and, and, I, and I run a centre which is to do with cardiovascular disease data, but suddenly we all pivoted towards the cardiovascular consequences and predictors of COVID-19. Um, and, and Ami uh, similarly has, has moved to think about COVID-19. All the GPs across the country were concerned about COVID-19. Everyone working in hospitals was concerned about COVID-19. So there's been this kind of uh, force uh, to kind of really drive the agenda forward. And provided we don't let that force stop when things move on and people kind of go back into their uh, specialist areas and become potentially more siloed, then uh, we can create some benefits out of this tragedy by really having the potential to answer all questions better in the future. Yeah, I find it, I just find it really fascinating um, looking at what data can tell us about illnesses and how it's going to eventually lead to sort of like a more personalised approach to medicine. It's, um, I wish I was more of an expert on it, but I'm finding it really fascinating hearing what you guys have been up to. Um, I did want to talk about privacy, though, because that's something that holds up um, data, I think, a little bit, is people get a bit concerned about how their data is going to be used um, and therefore maybe aren't as willing to opt into sharing their data. Um, so I just wanted to ask, sort of, what, what do we need to do to address people's concerns about privacy and security? Um, and how is patient data protected once it is um, collected? Thanks. Uh, um, such an important point, um, Andrea. And I think um, I mean, all it's about for all of us. All of us are concerned about how, how what is information about us, what is it being used for, um, and there are a number of th many things we can do to kind of almost make sure that it's um, people we can each trust how it's being used and it's being and who's using it and what what for what purposes. Um, so there are a number of things. So Kathy mentioned um, the kind of trusted research environment concept, the fact that the, da the data is held in, in a secure, trusted environment. Um, there's then a, um, a, a 
concept of what's called the five safes, which is around actually who, who can access the data in terms of you have safe people, what they're using it for, so safe projects, what actual data they have access to, which is um, safe data, what then is generated from that, what outcomes they have, so safe outcomes, and then the safe settings component, which is the trusted research environment aspect to it. So what, what we're doing is working through, so if you work through those that kind of those five different aspects, you can then mitigate the risk of anything bad happening as a result of um, people having access to the data. Um, the other aspects then are about actually how the data is anonymized and de-identified in there, um, minimizing actual data travel or data release from there, and then really importantly, engaging the public patients, practitioners in, in the decision-making processes and um, understanding how then the date, what, what the data is then being used for and the outcomes coming from that, so that it, everyone knows what's happening and, it's, um, and feels confident and supportive of, of what's happening on that and feels that they can actually address risks of being addressed appropriately and um, they can feel confident in, in how that's being done. And that's really key, uh, the, 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 the patient and public engagement component of this. So, where, you know, when you do speak to members of the public or to patients, um, as we do in clinical practice, they often have a, a sort of expectation that their data is being shared and used at least across the health service and for research or analyses that will benefit not only them, but others. They often assume that's already happening. Um, but uh, it's not clear that we have really done a great job um, uh, previously in making sure that 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 there were in that everybody really understood um, about what the benefits could be of use of their data um, or were enabled to engage in the types of conversations that Caroline's talked about uh, where patients and members of the public can understand what's what factors are being put in place to protect their data so that they can be very comfortable um, knowing that benefits can come out of um, benefits direct to them and benefits to future patients can come out of their own personal health experience. I, I think, um, as, as well as agreeing with everything that uh, Caroline and Cathy just said, I, I would say that the, the conversation is is different and in, in these times, partly because of what Cathy said earlier, that we're, we're linked by a common purpose and patients and public also in our discussions and um, with, with, with um, regard to our risk calculator have have been wanting us to use the the data available to to learn more and be able to do more um, to to help uh, and and one of the difficulties is that it's a very complicated landscape from commercial apps to um, census data to health data and the key thing I, I think is, is which has been said already is having people in the discussion and keeping trust at the center and and for example um, if I, I think slowly people are realizing but researchers and people who are analyzing data they, they have various approval processes in place that mean that you can't um, deal with any linkage of data that's not been anonymized and is not identifiable and so on. And people are worried about how artificial intelligence will be used. We have to have these open conversations so, so that we can take people with us.
Yeah, I'm glad you said it's a confusing landscape because it is. There's so much going on and like I find it really hard to follow it all. And I, you know, I am writing about it you know, most weeks. So I can only imagine that it's really hard for most patients to even understand how the data will be used, um, you know, from sharing it between um, primary care and secondary care. And then you've got all of these things like AI and machine learning thrown in. Um, so it is very, very confusing. Um, I just wanted to very quickly ask, um, how do we go about having those conversations? Because I think all three of you have mentioned the need to have the conversations with patients. Um, but how do we go about including them in in the discussion about how their data will be used and reassuring them that it's safe? I think, I, if I may first, I would, I would say that so, so far we've tended to be either um, data-focused or researcher-led or even policy-led. Actually, we should listen um, to patients and public, it should be patient and public-led. And that's a difficult change and that's easier said than done. But for example, uh, if you scan through, um, whether it's um, the, the print press or social media, you'll find that the, the general public are very interested in their individual risk information. What the, They don't want to know what data they need to get there, but we, we as different stakeholders need to listen to that and, and provide it with the skills and the data that we have available. Um, we've um, we found that um, the public are extremely um, willing and keen to be involved and to get um, engaged and, and it's our responsibility to make very tangible opportunities for people to do that. So during COVID, um, we we set up a um, we asked for people to volunteer to be part of a, a public um, COVID advisory group. Uh, we had I think um, sixty members of that, and they, we were able to work with them on as um, research questions were coming through. They were deciding which ones we were kind of contributing as to which ones needed to be prioritised on that. As different um, programmes of work were happening, um, so for example, with the risk calculator that um, Amy was talking about there, helping kind of guiding the thinking um, on that. So there are huge opportunities for members of the public to get involved in helping to shape and design the, the future of how data is used and, and we need to make and, and continually create those opportunities for people to do that and have them as a, a core part of the decision making the designing processes um, so that it really is um, uh, done in a, in a very um, kind of joined up and, and, and transparent and trustworthy way. Um, one particular way um, in which we can work with uh, patients and members of the public is through testing whether we are communicating well. Um, and the, the, the panel that Caroline just referred to have been incredibly helpful and actually have worked really, really hard as well um, in doing that sort of work with some of us. So um, I think Amy might have had this experience too, but recently we were trying to put across um, a message about um, the importance of considering uh, false positive test results as well as false negative test results in testing for COVID-19 in various different circumstances. Um, and um, I'd created a kind of um, arithmetical online tool and um, some uh, written material about it for scientific consumption, but also um, some web material as well. And that panel gave some incredibly helpful and insightful feedback on what made sense and what didn't and what was missing and why hadn't we done it this way and what about um, 
communicate what about um, dealing with this particular additional issue it wasn't necessarily possible to deal with everything that was raised but it was incredible it was incredibly helpful in then writing a discussion uh, in terms of just fleshing it out and adding some contact on those additional points um, so I think you know help with our communications uh, is is incredibly enriched by um, by having that kind of input and partnership uh, from patient uh, and public panels. So the Health Data Research um, Innovation Gateway is publicly ac accessible to everyone at healthdatagateway.org. And if you go on there, you can see there's over 488 of the UK's health data sets. You can look through, search on all sorts of topics, um, diseases, issues, look at the different data sets and start to understand what sort of data the UK has. So um, and it's open for anyone to have a look through on that. And it just shows you the data um, at, at the kind of what data there is. It doesn't give you access to the data by looking through the website. You, you can then but you can apply for access. Um, through that route. Well, Caroline, Amy and Cathy, it's been so interesting having you on Digital Health Unplugged. Data is such a huge topic and I think you guys covered it really, really well um, in such a short space of time. To all of our listeners at home, uh, thank you for tuning in again. I know I say that every time, but we really appreciate you listening. Don't forget we publish fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. So please do give us a follow on any of those platforms. And if you have any podcast suggestions or you want to ask a question about it, you can drop me a line at a downey that's a d o w n e y at digitalhealth.net that's it for this episode guys and we'll catch you next time bye